Welcome to EDI on BIV. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at Business in Vancouver, and we're broadcasting today from the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Back on the show today as a co-host is Chantelle Krish, CEO of KidSafe. She also sits on the boards of a number of organizations, including Minerva BC and the BC Women's Health Foundation. Chantelle, welcome back. Great to have you on the show as always. Hi, great to be here as always. And our guest today is Ella Hippolito, a senior associate at Boyden, a full-service executive search firm. Ella, great to have you on the program. Thanks for spending some time with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to start by asking you about sort of EDI and what that means. We know there's a lot of emphasis on diversity, but as we've discussed at length on this show, and Chantel has been with me for some of these conversations, diversity efforts are not always the same as inclusive efforts, and they aren't necessarily equitable either. So I'm curious for your take on whether this is changing and if you're seeing firms and employers focus more on EDI and not just diversity. Sure. Thanks for the question, Haley. I think we are seeing a lot of a shift from different organizations, particularly in the public sector, uh, not-for-profit, education, post-secondary. We're seeing quite a bit of shift to what does inclusion mean, especially with the rise of BLM and EDI being catalyzed throughout the pandemic. We're seeing what does it mean to increase belonging? What does it mean to have an equitable search process, equitable policies and procedures in place, systems and structures in place within organizations. And so that is heartening. It's great to see that organizations are making that shift and moving away from just hiring for diversity and moving towards how do we ensure that the folks that we are bringing into our teams feel as though they're included and know that they belong here. Thank you so much, Ella. I really appreciate uh, you kind of setting the context. From in your experience and from a recruitment context, what does it mean to have an equity deserving candidate? Sure. I mean, we can look at it a number of different ways. It, it is by definition someone that identifies from one of the five uh, historically marginalized groups. So you can go by definition, certainly in terms of lived experience that someone brings either racially, sexual orientation, accessibility. Uh, And and that's what it means to have someone that's equity deserving if they have been uh, given less opportunity or historically marginalized in some way in the past. And is there a way, Ella, to evaluate what that means, come up with perhaps recruitment uh, parameters around what that means in a sort of objective and fair way where we don't let different biases sort of enter that process and shape what we view as equity deserving? Yeah, I mean, looking at the, like I said, any of the equity deserving five groups you can share and it's different for another, let's look at some of the universities, look at six different groups. So you can include that within your job description. If you're looking for someone that's an equity deserving candidate and say, we are looking for someone that identifies with one of these groups in terms of what does that mean in a recruitment process? There are a lot of different ways to do this that protect that individual in terms of confidentiality. So some ways that I've seen in recruitment are including a survey asking that goes out to each applicant asking, do you identify with one of these groups? Yes or no. And it just kind of puts a mark as to, okay, 
we need to remember that this person identifies as equity deserving. And when we're considering their application, looking at it from a different lens to be a lot more inclusive. So if it is a woman and you see a gap in their uh, experience, rather than saying, well, this person took two years off work, a year off work, and then discounting them, now that you know that they identify as a woman, perhaps just probing a little bit more and asking for their story. Why is it that they took the two years? Perhaps they went on a mat leave. Should you really be discounting them for that? And so this is why it's important to identify who's equity deserving. So your biases don't come into place and you can really start to question where are my judgments coming from? And why is it that I have these judgments? And then look at that applicant in a different, through a different perspective, that's a lot more inclusive, a lot more equitable. What an interesting conversation to be having right now. I think um, like one thing that we see, I mean, I certainly see this in my work, um, <clears throat> is there's so much competition for talent, particularly senior level talent, right? And, and with the labor shortage and just also with things like how we work, um, relocating, traveling for work due to COVID. I'm just curious, like, does this present barriers to diverse and equity deserving pools of candidates or does it present opportunities? What are you kind of seeing when it comes to, to this area of the conversation? It's very interesting because we are seeing as it was the McKinsey article that was put out in September, this great attrition, Chantal, that I think you're alluding to, uh, where 40% of employees have stated they're at least somewhat likely to quit their jobs in the next three to six months and only slightly higher in white collar roles, 41%. And they imagine that this will worsen because of those that have quit, 36% of them have quit without a next, their next job lined up. And so they imagine that this will worsen and you can't really fix what you don't understand. So what is behind this problem? There are three top contributing factors. 54% have stated that they feel they are not valued by their organization. 52% have stated that they feel they're not valued by their managers. And then 51% do not feel a sense of belonging at work. And of course, that latter number, the 51%, we see it um, at a much higher rate for folks that identify as racially equity deserving. So you're seeing a lot of folks who are indigenous black people of color in their role saying, I'm quitting because I don't feel a sense of belonging at work. And so this inclusion has long been uh, a focus for researchers saying, we're ringing the bell on this, we're ringing the alarm on this, it needs to happen. Organizations need to be a lot more inclusive in the workplace, in their recruitment, in order to retain employees. But now it's almost irrefutable. It's case closed. It's We need to be a lot more inclusive in organizations in order to keep the talent we already have, but not just that, recruit and re attract new talent uh, because we're seeing this huge shift throughout the pandemic and it's been catalyzed by the pandemic. 
That's pretty unbelievable. And it's also very brave for a lot of these candidates to have to make that shift. It's also so many dimensions. Like it's it's sad to think that that is a motivator to have to leave and that workplaces just aren't inclusive for folks, equity deserving folks, particularly people of color, like you mentioned. Where are these people going? Are they, I mean, I'm assuming that they still, you know, um, are interested in making an income and, and being able to support themselves and their families. But what are you seeing in terms of that? Is it contract work? Is it, you know, developing new business models? Like, I'm just, this is such an important part of the conversation too. Mm-hmm. I don't have the exact stats on it, but from my experience and what I have been seeing, a lot of folks moving into consulting roles, certainly. Also, we're seeing quite a few early retirements in the C-suite executive level. What does that mean? There are a lot more leadership roles open, definitely. But it also means that some of the folks who are retiring at that C-suite, perhaps the VP level, are now promoting the director level, manager level. So some of those director and manager levels underneath are also becoming vacant. So you are seeing a little bit of a shift. It's certainly a candidate's market right now. Well, and to that point, Ella, I'm curious if it is a candidate's market and there are people who are valuing inclusion, who feel that they necessarily weren't coming from a very inclusive workspace, is that going to shift the dynamics that take place in a recruitment process? For example, might there be candidates who say, you know what, if you can't show me as a potential employer that you foster an inclusive workplace based on what I value, what I look for, I'm not interested in that job. Are you seeing that? The short answer to that, Haley, is yes. Definitely. We're seeing that. We're seeing that candidates are able to ask for a demonstration of inclusive practices. And it's crucial now for organizations that do have an inclusive work environment, that do have a commitment to equity, diversity, inclusion, to include that and signal that in your job description, in the job posting, whether that's uh, ensuring that you have inclusive language removing under any gender uh, binaries, any gendered language. And so there are a number of ways that one can do this. It's really, if you don't have the, the training to be able to look at your job postings in an inclusive way, there are a number of different tools you can use. There's a free tool called, uh, I believe it's called Gender Decoder, and you're able to plug in your job description, and it will highlight for you words that tend to lean either one gender or the other. Now, there's no way you can completely remove some of those words, especially if they're required of the job, but it at least brings to your attention which way it might be leaning. Are you leaning more, let's say 80% of your words are what they would call male charged? And so you need to bring attention to that and have a look and try to balance it out even more. That's really interesting. And I'm curious, are you seeing that too on the candidate side? For example, candidates trying to present themselves, if it's a recruitment process where it's not clear what their identity is, reviewing the language in their resume or their cover letter in a similar way, is that something that's happening? I think so. I'm I'm seeing that a little bit, but you know, the fact of the matter is you can't be inauthentic to yourself as a candidate. So even if you are good at looking at your CV, your cover letter, and changing it so that it reflects whatever is in the job description, great, that's fantastic. You'll probably 
get an interview, a conversation, and perhaps be hired. But when you're going into the organization, what is sustainable? Are you really able to keep that that identity identity going if that's not true to who you are? I was actually having a conversation the other day with someone who works in a pretty senior level at a global manufacturing company based here in Vancouver, and they were talking about what you alluded to, right? Like that great attrition and then sort of the leveling up of that next line of of VPs, chief executives into these senior roles and then creating more openings. And what, what they were saying was that those lines are all non-diverse candidates, right? Like they've been <laughs> moved up through the chain for a long time and, and qualified. I mean, of course, based on merit, hopefully, but um, you know, at the end of the day, like the, the structure of the organization is flawed, right? Because of the history of promotion and the history of moving people into more senior leadership positions without the lens around equity, diversion, diversity and inclusion that we're describing. So what kind of, appetite do you see with your clients? Because, you know, Boyden works with some pretty big organizations and institutions and complex organizations. So what kind of appetite are you seeing to actually go outside the candidate pool, the traditional candidate pool, and and do a bit of that, I want to say, harder work to, to identify, find, and maybe even take chances on candidates that might not necessarily fit that profile of, you know, that career ascension, but that would bring so much to, to positions if, if there was actually just the, I guess the desire, but also the gumption to put those in those roles, them in those Mm -hmm. roles and see what happens. You know, I can't speak for every client at Boyden. Uh, We are very diverse in terms of industry. My specialization is in post-secondary public sector not-for-profit, anything related to diversity inclusion, I do certainly get pulled into other industries. But what what we are seeing is a little bit of a shift in the thinking around what is really required of the job, of the role, and being realistic about what can be learned in the position, and also looking at candidates as to what sort of other experience do they bring, lived experience, and how can they demonstrate the ability to do the role if they haven't been given the chance or the opportunity to accrue that experience. There are a number of reasons why a person of color, a woman, anyone with a disability may not have been given the opportunity to fill in that manager role, uh, senior manager, director role perhaps. And if they do not have that experience as a leader, do they demonstrate the ability to step into a leadership role? You can ask candidates, what what kind of leader are you? What kind of leadership traits do you have? How do you manage a team? How do you motivate a team? How do you inspire your team? And really, when you're asking these questions, you're giving them the opportunity to demonstrate they have the ability to the role, they just haven't been given the chance. I'm curious, Ella, if this sort of necessarily means then that in the recruiting process, there are more, there's a greater need to have an interview, right? As opposed to just looking at a resume and saying, oh, there are gaps here. We're eliminating that candidate. Are you finding, is there a need for more time to thoroughly go through applications and set aside time for those honest conversations? Yeah, Haley, if you're doing a more equitable, inclusive search as a recruiter, it's important to look at every CV with a glass half full mentality. 
you need to be able to, of course, not just look at the biases that you have within yourself and all of us have them, regardless of whether or not we're equity deserving and try to bring those to awareness, put them on a shelf, look at a candidate and really review. And if you have questions, write them down and give the candidate a chance to respond to those questions. I see that you've been out of a, here's an example. I see you've been out of a full-time role for the last five or six years and you've been consulting, but now you're applying for a full-time permanent role. Why is that? What has prompted you to move into a full-time role, start applying for full-time roles? And when you give the candidate a chance to respond and to share their experience, their story, it becomes very clear that it's not for lack of trying perhaps their partner, I had an example recently, their partner was really fighting cancer and they weren't able to be in a full-time role. But I wouldn't know that because they don't write that in their resume, of course. So you have to be able to look at that and, and ask those questions. It is It does take a lot more time. It does take a lot more effort, but it's that intentionality, the thoughtfulness that really goes behind uh, and encourages a more equitable and inclusive search. Well, I think it's so great that that kind of deeper dive is happening because as we know about diversity, inclusion and belonging in the workplace, when that work is done, it actually builds more of a robust experience for everybody involved. But, you know, if you did want to go the route of the, the more of the business imperative, like it's also good for business, right? We know that that this creates good outcomes, positive outcomes, more diversity of thought and different leadership traits that are really needed to take us through these times. So, mm -hmm. so one of the other things that um, I think is really interesting is, you know, expectations can be very limiting. I kind of alluded to this in the last question, right? Like you have that certain kind of a candidate that moves into a sort of C-suite executive type role. But if a firm wants someone with a degree or a certain amount of experience in a particular sector, and these can really limit the kind of prospect pool and, and limit the diversity. So what extent are you seeing those expectations change? And you kind of talked to that a little bit. So you kind of talked to that a little bit um, before, but I'm just curious if, if you are actually seeing organizations take those sort of requirements off or make them less, um, less black and white. Yeah, you're seeing some of the organization shift to making them less black and white, uh, not necessarily taking them off. I think for any organization, and I, I, I think I had mentioned this before, looking at the job description and really asking what is actually required of this role, do they actually need a master's degree or is a bachelor's degree with a combination of experience acceptable? Do they need a bachelor's degree? you need to look at the rest of the job description, what is actually required of the role, and be honest about who it is you're looking for instead of what it is, as Chantal, you had mentioned, what it is you expect in a candidate or expect as what a leader looks like. And so I think even including in your job description uh, a little bit of a statement saying that we acknowledge not every single candidate will meet all of these requirements in equal measure, but we would encourage you to apply if you do meet the bulk of or the majority of 
what's written below in the candidate profile and job description. And that's crucial for women in business as well. We know this, that men will apply regardless of whether or not they meet all of the criteria. And women typically only apply if they meet every single line in that job description, right? And so by including a statement saying, we acknowledge not everyone will meet this criteria, but apply regardless if you do meet the majority of it. So this is what I mean by the power of inclusive language in recruitment, in the job description, in interviewing, in conversations with candidates. There needs to be a shift and truthfully a very intentional self-education journey around inclusive language if you are looking to recruit diver- equity deserving candidates and to retain a lot of the employees that we're seeing now move and shift and quit. So it's crucial for any business to be able to retain their employees. It's kind of chuckling to myself because what you said about needing to meet every single requirement hit home like a hundred percent. I'm curious, I want to pick up on something you mentioned before in that candidates might very well ask a prospective employer, well, show me how do you demonstrate that you have a track record of being an inclusive workplace? And what do candidates expect? Are they looking for very specific measurables? Are they looking for a statement as to the employer's thoughts on inclusivity? Do you have any thoughts on for our audience who may be thinking about how could I lead this and answer that question in a job interview? What do you say? What do people expect them to say? It's very different based on the candidate, right? And that's that's part of inclusivity. In terms of not just your job description, but the workplace, if it is not benefiting all of humankind, the diversity that comes with humankind, then it is not necessarily all, it's not inclusive of all. And so if you start from that place, it sounds very daunting, but if you are working towards building an inclusive workplace for every single human being, then the candidate won't have to ask. The candidate won't need to ask about okay, I see that travel is required of the role. Look, I'm a woman and I am the main caretaker at home. So what does it mean to support me when I do travel for work, but I have to take care of, you know, perhaps an elderly parent at home. And so if you are starting from a place of let's ensure inclusivity for all, then you won't necessarily have to create inclusivity per candidate. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, and that, and we've had conversations on the show about when the, the equity, diversity, inclusion person, like when the work is assigned to one individual versus embedded across an organizational culture from the executive level down to every level of the organization, it's a real difference in approach and authenticity. So, so mm-hmm. I think even just what you're describing is such an important part of that process is how you bring people in is like the first step, right? Mm-hmm. Um our final question uh, relates to, you know, as, as an executive search firm and representing one, um, 
I'm just curious, like what role do you play? Does, you know, Boyden or all of the other ones that are out there, but what kind of work are you doing to work with your clients and educate them and bring them along in this process? And so is there, is there things like public discussions or training or like what kind of work is happening behind the scenes so that you're actually building that inclusion in that, in that recruitment process? Yeah, and it's different for every client because every client is in a different stage on their journey around EDI. And it is always sort of with this acknowledgement, I think it was Audre Lorde that said, is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. So even that thinking and mentality around the work that we do is crucial. So let's start there. In terms of what's going on behind the scenes, there is training, there are conversations around unconscious or implicit bias and how do you bring that to awareness. There are conversations around, here is what a suggested interview question should look like where you're actually measuring for their ability, experience, competency, rather than some very vague question around well, what does leadership mean to you, right? We want to be able to measure the competencies of candidates. And so those are the kind of conversations we're having with clients. If they are looking for someone that's equity deserving, we'll share here are the different ways in which one can do this and ensure that you are really tapping into as diverse of a candidate pool as possible. And there are myriad ways of of being able to do that. And so It really depends on what the client is looking for and where the organization is at in terms of their EDI journey. Ella, thank you so much for the really interesting and informative conversation. Thanks for sharing with us what you're doing and the work you're doing on EDI and also what you're seeing in the field. Thank you for having me, Lily. I feel like And I I mentioned this earlier, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. (laughs) Yeah, we absolutely could. And maybe we'll have to have you back in a few months time to talk about any new trends you're seeing. Because I think it resonated with me, some of the things that were said, and I'm not an employer. And I'm sure people who are doing this work may have a lot of questions. So we'll have to have you back. Mm -hmm, I'd love that. Joining us today is a guest, Ella Hippolito, a senior associate at Boyden. And joining me once again is a co-host, Chantel Krish, CEO of KidSafe. Great to have you back, Chantel. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor at BIV. Thanks for joining us. We publish episodes of EDI on BIV on Tuesdays. You can find them at BIV.com slash audio or by searching for BIV on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening. 